Quantlayer is a software consultancy based in Brooklyn, New York. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Quantlayer. The information presented should not be construed as investment advice. Guests may maintain positions in assets mentioned in the podcast. here, Vikram speaking. I'm joined by Fizan, also known as the Wizard. What's going on, Fizan? Not much. How are you? Good. So a few months back, we had recorded a overview of the Elasticsearch, tickers ESTC. We recorded an overview of their IPO. That episode is actually one of our most popular ones. So what we thought we would do is just cover another recently filed IPO. It's a security company called CrowdStrike. And the way they define themselves, and this is from their website, you can just go to their go to their website. We'll link all this stuff in the show notes. Um, breaches stop here. Join the world's most secure businesses on the first cloud native endpoint protection platform built to stop breaches. And they make three points about their platform. One, it eliminates complexity, simplify your security stack, and deploy in real time. Two, harness the power of big data and artificial intelligence to empower your team. Three, get everything you need to stop breaches with a single lightweight agent. So those, I think, they are their primary selling points on their very enterprise-oriented website, as you pointed out, Faison. Yeah. So we're going to talk through their S1. And this is actually, I think both of us agree, this is actually a really well-written S1. I think a lot of the people listening are going to know what an S1 is, but for anyone who doesn't, it's basically, it's just a filing with the SEC by a company that plans to go public. So if you want to go public, you're going to file an S1. It'll have all the business and financial information that a company is going to disclose to investors. And so the S1 is the initial filing, and then there's the S1-A, which are these like amendments to your original S1. The reason you would amend it is you're going to file your S1, the SEC will come back with comments which you're going to respond to. And then once all that stuff's clear, you can file your 424B, which is the IPO final prospectus. That's the actual, if you ever go to like an IPO roadshow or an IPO presentation, you'll get an actual physical prospectus. And often banks will mail them to investors too. At least back in my day, they did. They probably still do. And the final prospectus is the thing that's going to have like what the shares are going to be sold at, what price and all those things. So there's a part of the S1 that's super useful, and it's called the prospectus summary. And it's just like the first part of the S1 and prospectus. It covers the business and financial concerns, what metrics are important, what risks they might face, and things like that. You can get a very solid overview of a company. Obviously, they're going to put their best face forward. But what I will say is with a lot of these tech prospectuses, they go into a lot of technical detail and not obviously not code level detail, but technical enough that probably a layperson might have to read it twice to understand what's going on, which is good because then you get like you can get meaty details by having a conversation about these things. So thought we could go through the one for CrowdStrike today. So the opening of the prospectus is we were joking about this a little earlier. They have something called our mission. And this is what their mission is and I'm quoting them, we don't have a mission statement. We are on a mission to protect our customers from breaches. 
then they get into a little overview of the company. It's actually, I'm surprised like how young this is for how big they've gotten. But as we all know, these a lot of these software companies can grow pretty dramatically in a short amount of time. So they founded CrowdStrike in 2011 to reinvent security for the cloud era. When we started the company, cyber attackers had a decided asymmetric advantage over existing security products. And then they go into a discussion about how they realized the nature of these cyber security problems had changed. And they are trying to create a new category called the security cloud. And in the same way, this is them, in much the same way the cloud has transformed CRM, HR, and service management industries, I guess they want to transform and create this kind of category called security cloud. What's your take on that kind of analogy? I think it's a great analogy. If you looked at how security was traditionally done, it was very much a one like it's something you ran on a single machine. There was this whole approach of like you're securing that endpoint, whether it was cloud-based or uh, physical. And their take is that, well, all of the actual intelligence on determining whether something is a threat or not is not from the point of view of a single endpoint, but rather from the point of view of the data you're gathering across all endpoints, which is what you see in stuff like CRM software, or ad tech or, or anything else. So I think it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely the security industry getting caught up to other industries. Yep. And that's a good point because later on we'll read this part too, but basically they get into how different things are now given so many companies deploying to cloud platforms. So it's not like this easy single solution that can exist for security. So with our Falcon platform, we created this first multi-tenant cloud-native intelligent security solution capable of protecting workloads across on-premise, virtualized, and cloud-based environments running (laughs) on a variety of endpoints, such as laptops, desktops, servers, VMs, Internet of Things, IoT, and devices. What's so funny? Uh, This is just like buzzword spaghetti. Like everything they're saying makes sense. Yeah. But like multi-tenant cloud native intelligence security solution, on-premise virtualized cloud-based laptops, desktop like, servers, VMs, IoT. Like it's just, it's the just they're just saying everything. Like yeah, <laughs> it's just funny. So they have two. They claim they have two tightly integrated proprietary technologies: a intelligent lightweight agent and a cloud-based dynamic graph database called the Threat, threat Graph. And this is what I meant earlier about like these S1s getting pretty technical. So I would say to most people, this is not a clear sentence. Our easily deployed intelligent lightweight agent and our cloud-based dynamic graph database called Threat Graph. Like, what's your take on that? Yeah, so this is the way I understand it. So, you know, let's say you have an endpoint. So we'll say that's an Amazon EC2 instance or a Google Cloud Platform instance, but it's essentially some server that you have in the cloud that's running your application. Yep. So that server is going to be connected to the internet. It's going to have inbound connections. It's going to be running your software, doing all sorts of stuff. And traditionally, you might have a firewall. You might have some additional like malware or antivirus software running on that server. Mm -hmm. So their agent is essentially the on-server piece of software that has to operate because it, it needs to actually be on the server to be able to maybe read any attempted incoming connections scan for any uh, malware or whatever other security functions you're trying to run. So that's the replacement for the like traditional on-machine software that you'd be running. Okay. And then the graph database piece is that the, the intelligence doesn't come from what's happening on one server. The intelligence comes from 
if we take all of the events that are being transmitted to all of the endpoints and we start tracking those relationships, then there's probably some intelligence that can be gleaned from those relationships. If I am the 300th server that's being attacked by a given IP, but I'm mm-hmm. not aware of the other 299, I just see one malicious IP. But yep. if I know of those other 299, the moment that IP tries to do something on my server, I can immediately take action without having to sort of learn that it's a malicious IP over time. Yep. So then they go into the types of... So this is what we were talking about earlier about like things being more complex today in terms of how organizations deploy and all that. Organizations everywhere are becoming more distributed as they adopt the cloud increase workforce mobility, and grow their number of connected devices. They're adding more workloads to a myriad of different endpoints beyond the traditional security perimeter, exposing an increasingly broad attack surface to adversaries. I'll just take a quick aside. Like sometimes these S1s, like that's two whole sentences that could probably be a single sentence just in terms of like what they're trying to say. Because there's nothing really technical there. They're just saying that, Organizations now are more complicated that they deploy in different kinds of places that they might have remote workforces and things like that. It's just I find like sometimes this language to be very, uh, very cumbersome, but yeah. that's not a knock on them. That's just a that's a bias of mine. In addition, the sophistication, this is interesting. In addition, the sophistication of cyber attacks is increased, often coming from nation states, well-funded criminal organizations and hackers using advanced, easily attained methods of attack. On a number of occasions, adversaries have launched devastating, destructive attacks that have caused significant business disruption and billions of dollars in cumulative losses. So we all, you know, we hear about these stories all the time, right? Yeah, the the big botnets that are available for sale where for $100,000 you can take down a massive organization. Yeah. The architectural limitations of legacy security products coupled with a dynamic and intensifying threat landscape are creating the need for a fundamentally new approach to security, which I assume is what they have. Um, <laughs> One would hope. So they get into this, uh, the intelligent lightweight agent discussion. I think this is the key point. The agent is non-intrusive to the end user and continues to protect the endpoint and track activity even when offline. That's pretty interesting. By utilizing a single agent, customers are able to leverage all the capabilities of our platform without burdening the endpoint with multiple agents. I think that's the point you were making a little earlier. Yeah. Threat graph. This is their, okay, threat graph, which I don't understand completely just yet, but threat graph processes, correlates, and analyzes over 1 trillion endpoint-related events per week in real time, maintains an index of these events for future use. Do you think they use Elasticsearch? Um, Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Threat graph continuously looks for malicious activity by applying graph analytics and AI algorithms to the data streamed from the endpoints. Yeah. The way I sort of see this is almost like the uh, inverse of ad tech. So with modern ad tech, there's this idea of uh, by using like tracking and cookies and, and what have you, building an, like, an identity of who you are. And then d- based on your behaviors, it affects your identity. And then that determines sort of the goal of uh, ad tech is to get you as far in the funnel as possible and to have as much information about you as possible. And yep. with security, it's almost inverted. So they're still building a profile of a given adversary or IP or user but the goal is to basically stop any identify malicious activity and stop it as early in the funnel as possible. 
Yeah, th- I think this line is really interesting. If ThreatGraph discovers something in one customer environment, all customers benefit automatically and in real time. So then they get into their sales organization a little bit. We primarily sell our platform and cloud modules through our direct sales team. They have some channel partners. They have a go-to-market partnership with Dell that enables Dell's customers to add Falcon to their platform. In May 2018, they launched a free trial of Falcon Prevent, which is I guess their next generation antivirus module, uh, which is available from their website or the AWS Marketplace. Are you familiar with this AWS Marketplace? I don't think I know much about that. I haven't used it too much, um, okay. but th- they basically just have a bunch of stuff that you can add on to the services that you use from AWS. Oh, okay. okay. Like, so ki- Yeah. Okay, so like Heroku has uh, third-party like plugins and widgets, yeah, basically, exactly. just like that? Okay. Yeah. That's probably pretty useful. Although, maybe, I don't know, do you think something like, I imagine like a lot of important kind of software aren't, isn't necessarily plug-and-play I imagine there's like a lot of config involved, like even Elasticsearch, which is great to use and all that still requires a decent amount of configuration Yeah, and human intelligence. I imagine yeah. like that would be similar here. But if you wanted to provide like Elasticsearch as a service, but within like essentially have AWS as your ultimate infrastructure provider, you mm-hmm. could, you know, have your own Elasticsearch image, have an agent that does a bunch of like monitoring and submit statistics to your cloud-based service. And then, like, I could essentially, you know, use your Elasticsearch image and then pay the SaaS rate for the monitoring or optimization service or whatever you want to provide. So it. It, it does make sense as like a with AWS almost as a channel partner because they're the ones providing the infrastructure anyway. Yep. And then they get into so we talked a little bit about the customers. Or sorry, their sales process. Then they talk about their sales strategy, which they called a low friction land and expand sales strategy. <laughs> when customers deploy our Falcon platform, they can start with any number of cloud modules and we can activate additional cloud modules in real time on the same agent they deployed. Yeah, so the, the first thing that comes to mind here is just the way segment operates where you know how you sort of, you just put segment into your code or you yep. um, and it emits the events and then you can essentially connect to any number of services without having to like add all of those individually because you've already got the agent in place. Yep. Segment is, you always make fun of me because of how amazed of by segment I, <laughs> I am, but it's literally like two lines of code. And this is not an ad. I'm, I just am impressed by segment. It's literally a couple lines of JavaScript code on your page and you have something that can hook up to literally, like it was, I think last time I counted, it was like 240 other third-party tools that you can hook up through segment. It's probably more now. It's just, it's pretty incredible. One other thing they talk about, which Elastic also talked about, is that they have this retention rate. So these guys are tracking this as well. Our dollar-based net retention rate, which measures expansion in existing customer subscriptions over a 12-month period, was 147% as of January of this year. And they say that demonstrates the power of their land and expand strategy. So I guess, you know, you sell you sell into the customer and then you continue selling more into the customer. I think that's the whole point. They have have 2,516 subscription customers worldwide, 44 of the Fortune 100, 37 of the top 100 global companies, and nine of the top 20 major banks. They began as a large enterprise solution, but the flexibility and scalability of the Falcon platform and enhanced go-to-market approach enable us to protect customers of any size from hundreds of thousands of endpoints to as few as three. 
And so endpoint here, Faison, there, that's being defined as like one EC2 instance as an example. That's how I or understood what? it. Okay. Yeah. Or, you know, EC2 instance or IoT device or, yeah, yeah, essentially like one individual thing that can be connected to and interacted with. Gotcha. So they have a section on industry background. We can come back to the financials later. I, you know, obviously they're important, but, you know, it's a little tough to follow financials on a, on a podcast, but we can come back to that. So they have a section on industry background and some of these are worth talking about. All these are worth talking about. So I thought we could just walk through them real quick. Um, so the first one is cybersecurity threats are greater than ever. And this section here is basically like any CIO or security person at a, at a at a company should probably freak out when they read this section. But they're saying basically today's cybersecurity threat landscape is more dangerous than ever. Breaches are complex and often executed over multiple steps known in the industry as the threat life cycle. I'm personally not super familiar with security, so all this stuff is pretty interesting to read. So, you know, even if you're not going to invest in the stock, but want a basic intro to this kind of stuff and how it's changing and what it probably will look at, like in the future, this S1 is worth checking out. The typical threat lifecycle starts with an initial exploit to enter a system historically using malware, but increasingly using malware-free or fileless methods. So that's pretty interesting, right? Mm -hmm. To penetrate endpoints and establish a beachhead inside a corporate perimeter. Once inside, adversaries move laterally across the corporate environment where they collect credentials and escalate privileges, enabling the typical adversary to download a larger, more destructive malware program or connect with an external control source. At this stage in the threat lifecycle, the adversary is able to encrypt, destroy, or silently exfiltrate sensitive data. And then they go on and, and explain how adversaries are better trained these days. Uh, you know, they're, they're funded by nation states and criminal organizations and so forth. Any thoughts on that section? No, it's interesting because traditionally security has been firewalls and then malware, right? That's Or an antivirus, that's what yeah. you, you thought of it. But a lot more of this uh, like fileless and malware-free stuff becoming more popular is an interesting trend. And then uh, that last bit about militaries and nation states is interesting because we have seen a lot more of that in the news from the claims of Russian interference. And then there's a lot of uh, stuff you hear about North Korea using, uh, weren't, weren't there some claims that they're responsible for some like cryptocurrency hacks? Yeah, yeah. As a way to like secure funds. So it's, it's mm -hmm. an interesting, it is an interesting landscape because it's yep. stuff that was like the realm of movies even maybe five years ago. Yeah. And it sounds like it's getting even more specialized, which is concerning. Proliferation of workloads expanding the attack surface. So we we like talk about this all the time between us two. I mean, we talk about this in terms of just general bugs, not necessarily security, but basically, okay, so this is what they're saying. The rise of cloud computing, workforce mobility, and growth in connected devices has created a rapid expansion of workloads across endpoints and industries. As a result, devices, applications, and data are highly distributed and diverse, challenging organizations to modern and protect all of their workloads running on various endpoints. So I get this kind of defines endpoint a little better. It's just all, okay, so uh, laptop servers and things like that, uh, mobile and IoT devices and so forth. On-premise security architectures are constrained. On-premise products are siloed, lack integration, and have limited capability to collect, process, and analyze vast amounts of data. In addition, integrating and maintaining numerous products, data repositories, and infrastructures across highly distributed enterprise environments is costly and resource-intensive. For 
already thinly staffed security teams. Yeah, that one is interesting. It, it makes sense because not that long ago, like you had on-premise security and a firewall was like a box that you bought and put in front of yeah. all of your servers, right? <laughs> right, right. As we move more towards cloud and even just like bring your own device and all those things, like it's a lot less practical to just buy a box and have that be responsible for your security. So it's an interesting couple of sentences, but that's that's how I think of it. It's like, you know, now everything is more cloud-based. You have more bring your own device versus just being able to buy a box. Yep. And I think they're pointing to in their next section, which is other existing security products have limitations. So the first bullet is legacy signature-based products. Signature-based products are designed to detect attacks that are already cataloged in a repository of previously identified threats. So an example of this, I guess, is like a legacy signature-based antivirus product to detect a previously known type of virus attack, I guess. Malware-focused machine learning products. So this starts getting, that just sounds really interesting. Traditionally, organizations have focused on protecting their networks and endpoints against malware-based attacks. These attacks involve malware built for the specific purpose of performing malicious activities, stealing data, destroying systems. According to their data from their customer base indexed by a threat graph, 40% of detections in the second quarter of fiscal 2018 were not malware-based, but instead leveraged legitimate tools built into the modern operating system, enabling attackers to accomplish their objectives without writing files to the endpoint. So that print, that's really concerning, right? Yeah, and that one is interesting because it's it's uh, they say like, okay, we're seeing less of like the you know stuff that you can catch by just your old school file system scan, but then they don't really tell you what they're going after. So I think maybe they're hiding the secret sauce a little bit here, right? Because they do leave that a little open ended. Application whitelisting products. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, I'm laughing about this because we've seen this kind of stuff happen. Application whitelisting products resort to an always allow or always block policy on an endpoint in order to allow or prevent processes from executing. I think about this in terms of like, at least what I've saw more recently, for example, is, uh, you know, whitelisting a particular IP to access uh, a production database, for example. Whitelisting relies in part on manually creating and maintaining a complex set of rules, burdening end users and IT organizations. Furthermore, fileless attacks can exploit legitimate whitelisted applications, compromising the integrity of the whitelisting product. Yeah, and like this one, just from the perspective of like as a developer, the nuisance factor of this can get super high. Yeah. If you're not like, like if you're deploying something fully within the AWS ecosystem and you put your database and all that stuff in their VPC and nothing but your endpoints get internet connection, that's fine. But the moment you bring in, let's say, third-party services, you can't do that anymore. You know, you have to connect. And so it's hard to maintain like the integrity of this in like a modern cloud environment. Yep. And we'll talk about a few more details. So they actually have customer case studies on their S1. Definitely read through these because they give like specific examples, Amazon, even Pokemon. We'll talk about how they help Pokemon. <laughs> But the next section, network-centric security products. Traditional network security vendors have focused their products on perimeter-based protection. However, these approaches have decreased in relevance and effectiveness as employees and workplace devices have expanded beyond the firewall and use of encrypted traffic has increased, creating blind spots and vulnerabilities. Next sub-bullet, bolt-on cloud products. Many on-premise vendors have introduced cloud offerings by putting their on-premise products in the cloud. So what's the concern with this guy? With the bolt-on? Yeah, with the bolt-on. They're basically just saying that 
people they're just making a cloud version of the traditional like single server software that already existed. So it's just not as good as it could be. Yep. And then they have the section called the creation of the security cloud, just is just calling back what they were talking about earlier. Um, we don't have to go through that again. And now they get into their solution. So this part will get more interesting. So they have their Falcon platform and they, this is what they say about it. We created the first multi-tenant cloud native open intelligence security solution capable of protecting workloads across on-premise virtualized and cloud-based environments running on a variety of endpoints such as laptops, desktops, servers, virtual machines, and IoT devices. When I read a sentence like this, <laughs> my first thought becomes like, what got missed? Like, what is the loophole scenario that doesn't work? Like, is there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Is there some sort of a VM I can, I can run that this won't work for? Or are they just really just saying everything with a lot of, a lot of words? Well, I'd love to see the track changes on that one line. And I'm curious, like, how many billable lawyer hours went into that single line? So, okay, our solution consists of our single intelligent lightweight agent and powerful and dynamic cloud-based database threat graph. These two tightly integrated proprietary technologies continue to collect, process, analyze, and correlate vast amounts of high-fidelity data across the entire threat lifecycle using a combination of AI and behavioral pattern matching techniques to stop breaches. So you have looked into their Falcon product a bit. How does that compare to like how they're uh, describing it here? It's pretty accurate. Essentially, they have this agent that runs on the machines that does a lot of what your traditional security products would do. But the real value add seems to be that by also adding the information that they're collecting to this thread graph, they're able to A, extract insights into like what sort of th uh, in, into threats that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. And then yep. they also sell a lot of uh, what leaks to be like proactive and reactive services to help, like as a service, um, help identify threats or deal with stuff once you're under attack. They have three cloud modules that they point to specifically, endpoint security, security and IT operations, and threat intelligence. So for endpoint security, our next generation antivirus, EDR, and device control modules combine machine learning and advanced behavioral techniques to defend against malware and malware-free attacks. They also do some kind of, come to do granular control over USB peripheral devices. That's interesting. Security and IT operations. We offer modules addressing IT hygiene, scan-less vulnerability management, and turnkey response. Threat Intel. Our threat research malware search engine and malware analysis modules provide automated assistance to review threats, conduct malware research, and detonate suspicious <laughs> files securely. <laughs> what an awesome word. Okay. Uh, they also ha have recently launched the CrowdStrike store, which is, I guess, some kind of like app platform. And then they get into their the benefits of their solution. So... I'll just, I'll read the high points and Faison, stop me when you want to talk about like any sure. of these that seem more interesting than the others. So the power of the crowd, crowdsource data, I guess what they're saying is like they use all the data of their, all their customers to create like a best possible solution for a, any given customer. High efficacy with low false positives. Consolidation of siloed products. Consolidation of agents. Rapid time to value. Constant protection anywhere. Elite security team as a force multiplier. 
bridging the security skills gap through automation, and then finally lowering the total cost of ownership. Yeah. One thing that they don't um, highlight enough, I feel like, is they talk about consolidation of agents. Um, This Mm -hmm. whole idea of you just have to run our one agent and then you can add any arbitrary number of services on top of that. But another very compelling, something like that seems very high value to me looking at this is, so they have this idea of the CrowdStrike store where you can get not just services they provide, but deal with uh, third-party suppliers of security services that would leverage the data that's incoming from their agent. This is going Mm -hmm. back to that segment analogy. But what's particularly interesting here is having a single trusted agent is extremely high value in in a security product, much more so than it might be for something like ad tech. Because, you know, let's say that they're a well-established, trustworthy company, their agents deployed across millions of endpoints, and you reasonably trust that this agent running on my endpoint is safe. Yep. But if some startup approaches me and they have a very compelling bit of SaaS software that solves some security need, but they want me to run their agent, I'm going to be very, very skeptical because I want to put as little third-party software on my endpoints as possible. And if it's some, you know, some small startup, not validated, they don't have a lot of endpoints, an agent is really another attack vector, right? Because you're, you're running this thing that has some level of privileges on your machine. So being able to have just one trusted agent on my machine, but add more third-party services is a big deal. So I'm much, much more likely to buy services through that store than deal with any number of small security startups that would require any sort of agent or privileged access to my machines. Yeah, that's a really good point. So kind of, they say lightweight, but I guess they should expand on that a lot more. Yeah, because I think they just talk about this like simplicity of, oh, you just have one agent and it's lightweight, meaning it's not going to eat up too many resources. But the big thing to me is just you're you're not expanding the number of attack services when you add new services. So that's a big deal. So then in the perspective summary, they start getting into their opportunity. These are just all, you know, big numbers, billions of dollars in opportunity. They get into their growth strategy, which let's just talk about this for a second because it's just kind of interesting. Grow our customer base by replacing legacy and other endpoint security products. We grew our subscription customer base by 1,274 customers from 1,242 to 2,516. So that's 100% increase year on year. Further penetrate existing customers. This <laughs> points to their whole like net retention rate stuff. Leverage our Falcon platform to enter new markets. Not a well-worded bullet point. Right. <laughs> Broaden reach into new customer segments. There's like someone who wrote this who's like getting a kick out of all this. Um, broaden reach into U.S. federal government vertical, expand our international footprint, extend our Falcon platform and ecosystem. I mean, all these sound pretty par for the course. I imagine this U.S. federal government vertical thing. I wonder how this plays with their international. I actually wonder how like all this stuff is going to play out. I don't know if you have any opinions on this. Like we've had this whole drama and debacle around the Huawei stuff like a telecom equipment from another company acting as like a potential security threat for like Americans and for other, you know, other countries too, those in Europe and stuff. I wonder how this kind of thing will play there. Like they're going to sell to the U S government 
Does that mean they can't sell to like the French government? Uh, probably not the French, but I suspect you'll see some more siloing. Like I think you'll see less Huawei in North America, and then you know you might see some of the inverse uh, in the other direction. And I think you might see that for security products too. So you you might have a company that takes the lead in like Russian markets or Chinese markets, and then these guys might take the lead in North America. I think you'll see some siloing. When it comes yep. to data and security. Yep. Especially if the attacks are more nation states and things like that. Right. And I, while I was reading this, I came across a new term I hadn't heard before. So it, they say, in addition, our platform is deployed in the AWS GovCloud. Have you seen this before? No. I just looked it up. So it's uh, AWS GovCloud regions are subject to FedRAMP and moderate baseline. I don't know what a lot of this stuff means, but what it sounds like is that there's, you know, federal government has a relationship with AWS and it has these regions that are operated by employees who are U.S. citizens on U.S. soil. It's only accessible to U.S. entities and root account holders who pass a screening process. So it's kind of, I guess it's like a cloud solution by okay, so AWS like for, like for the compliant government. compliant cloud service. Yeah. Like r- right. out of the box. Yep. So then they get into their... Actually, before we get into risks, let's just go through. So if you search the S1 just for customer case studies, they have a list. They have four or five different cases, including Pokemon, <laughs> that we can just talk through. And it'll probably give us a better idea of like how they work, although they probably won't give a whole bunch of detailed information. So Amazon Web Services, situation. So they go through like situation solution and what like CrowdStrike did with a quote from you know the person they probably worked with. Situation, Amazon Web Services is a leading cloud services provider supporting many prominent enterprises and government agencies around the globe. The challenges of protecting its millions of customers required increased visibility and a level of efficacy that its previous endpoint protection vendors were unable to provide. I, I wonder what happened there. Uh, <laughs> AWS solution, AWS conducted... A year-long test comparing our Falcon platform against multiple next-gen and legacy vendors. AWS chose to deploy our entire Falcon platform, including our turnkey solution Falcon Complete. The initial deployment consisted of 13,000 endpoints. And now they run on hundreds of thousands of AWS workstations and servers. Second one, HSBC. Situation. HSBC is a global financial institution, operates 3,800 offices across 66 countries, Recognizing its massive scale and distributed practice, they sought to implement a cloud-first security strategy across the entire enterprise. Solution. In 2017, they deployed their Falcon platform, including all their Falcon stuff, across 320,000 endpoints in 12 weeks. I bet a lot of these things are like probably services contracts, right? They must be. HSBC selected our Falcon platform as the only solution that effectively combines prevention, detection, and response. And then someone at HSBC as a managing director in cybersecurity said, CrowdStrike has changed the way HSBC works. It has given us the flexibility of an all-encompassing platform, not just another AV product. Uh, Hyatt Hotels. So we all know what Hyatt is. Solution. In 2017, Hyatt began using a broad spectrum of our platform. They use broad spectrum quite a bit, just as a aside. Well, they probably Including got tired the pl- of writing Falcon, Falcon Prevent, Falcon Insight, Falcon Discover, Falcon Intelligence, Falcon Hex, <laughs> Falcon Overwatch. Right. So it's just easier right. to say broad spectrum. <laughs> Uh, including deploying modules across 40,000 endpoints in just days, including threat intelligence, threat monitoring, malware analysis. 
Since then, Hyatt has experienced significantly higher efficacy in protecting against breaches and reduced its number of false positives. So their quote, the CISO, it's probably like a security officer, I'm guessing, information security officer. CrowdStrike products are a key part of Hyatt's cybersecurity ecosystem. Our security has improved measurably since implementing the platform. The unique combination, best-in-class AV, endpoint detection and response, as well as threat intelligence and dedicated support team far surpasses our expectations. ADP is basically, okay, so it's a it's like a human capital management solution. I think they handle a lot of like uh, payments, things like that. So in 2016, some of these are kind of old, man. 2016, 2017, love to hear like some more recent customer case studies. Okay, so three years ago, they installed a bunch of Falcon stuff for ADP. Deployment went so smoothly that in 2017, they chose Falcon Insight and Falcon Overwatch as the primary endpoint protection technology for all the firm's desktops. And finally, Pokemon. I hope this is the most interesting one. So situation, Pokemon Company International is responsible for the brand management, licensing, and marketing of Pokemon products globally. In 2017, the company introduced the smash hit product Pokemon Go, which saw its online business rapidly expand to hundreds of millions of users worldwide. Pokemon Go was that uh, phone app where you were trying to like catch a bunch of Pokemon using your phone yeah, app. It was, it was like, the, a, like kind a, of an AR, AR video game, yeah, where like you walk around yeah. and there's like, you got to catch them all. Yep. <laughs> that success drew the attention of cyber criminals. That's interesting. Many seeking to capitalize on the game's popularity with a variety of malicious activities. Manage, well, like what? <laughs> At least describe it. Okay. Management hoped to s- solve a range of issues by implementing a new security platform that could scale along their rapidly growing environment. Solution, to achieve security, visibility, IT hygiene, Pokemon deploy their Falcon platform, prevent Insight and Overwatch modules across its environment, 2018. Based on the initial success, Pokemon gained further visibility into its cloud infrastructure by subsequently deploying their Discover module on AWS to identify all EC2 instances that did not have the Falcon platform installed. And the chief security officer, Pokemon, said, CrowdStrike allows our security team to move faster than ever before. One of our challenges at the forefront was finding a platform that could allow our analysts to pivot seamlessly from one system to another. CrowdStrike gives us this capability. One of the reasons we went with CrowdStrike versus competitors was the level of integration that the platform had with the whole range of security capabilities. So yeah, I thought it would just be fun to walk through like a few actual implementations. I think I would have liked a few more, as I pointed, I think I would have liked a few more recent ones, like 2016, 2017 is a while back. If they want to highlight how much the security market is changing with kind of like AI and ML type of threats, it would have been interesting to hear those cases as well. What do you think? Yeah, I, I wonder if there's a, how long it takes them to like put these things together and yeah, and when it becomes okay to share, so maybe there's because it is security ultimately. Maybe yep. there's a bit of a restriction there. And then, so their risk to their business. A lot of these are just general risks, but let's just walk through them. We have experienced rapid growth. If we do not, this is just, okay. It's just like if they they have grown really quickly. If they don't grow as quickly, <laughs> their business is going to get affected. Okay. This is always fun to hear from tech companies. Everyone makes fun of it. We have a history of losses and may not be able to achieve or sustain profitability in the future. Our limited operating history 
makes it difficult to evaluate our current business and future prospects and may increase the risk of your investment. Okay. <laughs> if organizations do not adopt cloud-based SaaS delivered endpoint security solutions, our ability to grow our business and result of operations may be adversely affected. Definitely. That makes affected. sense. Yeah. If we're unable to attract new customers, our results would be harmed. If our customers do not renew their subscriptions, that would be bad. We face intense competition. And again, I don't, I'm not like super privy or know much about the security industry, but as I understand it, it is very intense. And they're basically saying that because it's so intense, if they can't, they could lose share to their competitors. Yeah. If our solutions fail or perceived to fail to detect or prevent incidents. So this is a huge problem, right? This is a big one. This is, this is their main one, I think. Yeah. This is like always what I find fascinating about security industry is it's it's your, like, you just need to get it wrong a couple of times and it can completely trash your reputation. Right. Right. As a cybersecurity provider, we have been and can expect to continue to be a target of cyber attacks yeah, if exactly. our internal networks are, are breached. That would be, you know, they're saying that's going to be basically bad for the reputation. Yeah. Our business is focused on cloud-based data analytics and cybersecurity, privacy, and other regulations may affect how we collect and process certain types of data. How is this a risk? I don't know. Just seems like a statement. <laughs> we rely on third-party data centers, such as AWS, our own colocation data centers, that if we do not effectively expand or train our sales force, our Results may uh, fluctuate significantly, and then the rest are kind of like boilerplate. There's only there's really only a couple in here that are like very specific for their business, and they mostly have to do with like the reputation angle. Yeah, I wonder like any other risks that you think that they have that kind of come to mind. I think they mentioned this somewhere, but uh, pricing. You know, yep. just sort of as looking around, reading reviews, trying to see what people that have used it thought of it, and it's like it's a rare product that. Like even on like Hacker News comments, like it was, I got a pretty positive response. The one knock against it is uh, pricing. Yep. And uh, the other thing is the the per endpoint pricing model is interesting because, I mean, we've deployed stuff where often it, it it makes more sense to just have a few very small instances versus one large one, but that would adversely affect like what we were paying for security. And so I don't know how that how that plays out either. It just seems like an interesting to tie it directly to endpoints, but it, it does make sense. But I can see if they're seen as an expensive product and they, they have pressure on, on their gross margins when there is competition, that's going to be a problem for them. Yeah, I think we have covered, uh, I mean, we basically walked through the prospectus summary. Yeah. So there is one, one more I'd, I'd like yeah. to bring up uh, sure. in the risk factors is uh, some of our technology incorporates open source software which could negatively affect our ability to sell our Falcon platform and subject us to possible litigation. Okay. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll read the details here. So our products yeah. and subscriptions contain third-party open-source software components, and failure to comply with the terms of the underlying open-source software licenses could restrict our ability to sell our products and subscriptions. The use and distribution of open-source software may entail greater risks than the use of third-party commercial software, as open source licensors generally do not provide warranties or other contractual protections regarding infringement claims or the quality of the code. 
Many of the risks associated with the use of open source software cannot be eliminated and could negatively affect our business. In addition, the wide availability of source code used in our solutions could expose us to security vulnerabilities. I found that sentence interesting because that's essentially the opposite of the conventional wisdom from security folks. What do you mean? A well-audited open source is generally considered safer because by having the source out there um, and having it examined and subject to people attempting to attack it, you know that it's reasonably secure. Whereas if you just have a you know closed source software and someone discovers an exploit and doesn't share it, um, that's that. Right. The licensing risk thing makes sense, but that seems like it's more just an issue of doing your diligence in terms of making sure the stuff you're using you have a, a license for. Yep. So it, it was. It's a weird how they've stated it. It's it's like it's a risk if you just use open source willy nilly without looking at what the licenses are. But as long as you do your diligence on the licensing. Um, it's not really a risk. It's a known, like, this is what the license is. And then in terms of the open source, making it more likely to be exposed to vulnerabilities, that seems like the opposite of what the, the conventional wisdom is. Right. I can see other companies. I mean, I, I don't know how often this uh, comes up as a risk factor for tech companies, but I can see this type of disclaimer being more common, though. Yeah. Like when I read this, I was like, somewhere a lawyer and a dev had an argument about this. And the lawyer was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not, I don't buy this. This is definitely a risk. <laughs> and put this line in. That's right. just in my mind. That's how this right. went down. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Vikram again. Thanks for listening to us. If you are an exchange, a trader, or working on a crypto project, get in touch with us. You can reach us on Twitter at QuantLayer. That's Q-U-A-N-T-L-A-Y-E-R or email me at vikram at quantlayer.com. That's V-I-K-R-A-M like Monero at quantlayer.com. I will write back. And if you like our podcast so far, please hit subscribe and rate and review us because that would help us a lot. Thanks. Thanks.